One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the fourth edition of the Political Party. This one featuring Liberal Democrat Lembit Opic. It was recorded on the evening of Margaret Thatcher's funeral. So obviously during the day people have been watching the funeral I certainly had, watching proceedings, taking it all in. In the week before that, between the funeral and her death, people talking about her legacy, her ideas, the effect that she had on Britain for, for better or for worse. So it's a great time really to be doing a gig like this, particularly on that day, because it lent it a real atmosphere. In the second part, you'll hear me uh, chat to Lembit, who was, I have to say, quite a surprising interviewee. And um, I'm genuinely charmed by the bloke, but make your own mind up about him uh, when you listen to that bit. I started off off the top of the show, obviously addressing the passing of Margaret Thatcher, her funeral, and in particular, the people who'd attended it. <laughs> the people watching was my favourite bit of it, because there were some very bizarre people there. You sort of, I would watch inside St Paul's, and I'd want them to stay there, because you'd say, oh, look, there's Geoffrey Howe. Oh, God, John Gummer. Is that Terry Wogan? <laughs> oh, and then they cut to the casket. No, 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 no. There should be an option on the Sky button, on the red button on Sky News, so that you could scan through that audience and see exactly who was there. Oh, my, is that Robert Mugabe? <laughs> Chatting to Alex Zane. Who was on the guest list? This is incredible. We're scanning through it, watching it. Old Tony Blair coming in. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Blair, but he did look like he was sizing up the gaff. <laughs> so what, the, the flowers and the candles come as part of a... <laughs> Colour scheme. Uh, anything but brown. <laughs> he was checking out on the old time. I mean, the whole thing is just... You know, the worst thing about it is it's someone who's died, hasn't it? So for, whether you're pro or against, the passing of any human being is... It's tragic. And what annoys me is this new era in which we live, and I don't, those of you that are political activists, maybe you share this, I wish Facebook was around when I was 15 and first getting into politics. I had to bother tits off my mates face to face. Everyone's a political commentator on Facebook. Now, the worst thing is, I went on there, and literally, no matter what anyone said, it pissed me off. So you get like the anti-lock, going, yeah, Thatcher's dead, she's dead, all you lot, she's dead, this is the end of it, I'm going to go out tonight, I'm going to party, she ruined parts of Northern Britain. Someone's still died, and I don't feel comfortable with this. And then you get all the prologue going, yeah, she was the greatest Prime Minister she ever had. This country was on its ass before Thatcher came in. Yeah, Thatcher. And you think, oh, God. And then you get someone else on there going, uh, OK, guys, I know there were some pro and some anti-points about that, <laughs> and, but actually someone's died. And you think, oh, you sanctum. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Everyone. Everyone pissed me off. Facebook for anyway, it's not about door knocking, ringing people up, speaking to voters face to face. Like, you know, when you go on a tour of Parliament, there are plaques to the suffragettes, there are p- great people who have left their mark on that building. I don't think you'll go on a tour of Parliament in 300 years and the tour guide's going to say, Oh, yes, now we come to the corner of Westminster, a very special place, and there's a blue plaque uh, celebrating David Smith, of course, who set up the Facebook group, Fuck the Coalition. <laughs> a marvellous piece in our country's history, it led to the removal of David Cameron some 27 years later. Very effective campaign. <laughs> People say, oh, it's on Facebook, it's trending on Twitter, as if that would have made any difference. 
at any point in history. I don't think the miners' strike would have been won if Scargill hadn't balloted his, his members but still got 13,000 likes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that era would have been dead and buried anyway. So it's just odd watching the whole thing. And the, the whole idea of parties baffles me, to be honest. I understand people on either side saying either I'll raise a glass to someone who's my political idol or now that someone whose ideology is embodied in this one person has gone, almost breathe a sigh of relief. I understand that. But people saying I'm going to have a party. What, with nibbles? What <laughs> sort of party are you going to have? Who, ringing mates up for it? Like, I just don't understand. I don't know anyone who's actually been to a party for it. Has anyone here been to a party? To do with Margaret Thatcher, I mean, otherwise, it's the most tragic room in Britain. <laughs> Never been to any party, actually. I mean, technically, this is one. That's why I tell her to get here, as usual. Um, uh, it's just weird, like, who's going to be on the phone organising that party? Yeah, oh, sorry, no, 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 sorry, love, no, I can't, I can't come along this weekend, no, uh, uh, no, I'm going to a party. Oh, no, 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 mixed birthday was last weekend. Oh, this one? Oh, you know that 87-year-old woman who had dementia and pissed her pants? <laughs> Yeah, she's dead. Quality, isn't it, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just bring a bottle, anything. Yeah, yeah. Who on earth? What sort of games are you going to win? A party has to have games. We're you going to play Blind Man's Bluff, where you, where you blindfold a mate and then grass him up for being a benefits chimp. <laughs> Maybe you could play Battleships, the new version, where you can sink pieces that aren't on the board. <laughs> or Monopoly, standard. Uh, but she was, you know, she was, she was a phenomenal woman, Thatcher. Do we have Thatcher supporters in that are, that are sort of sad that she's gone? Don't know, mate. What's your name? Alan. Alan. Of course it is, Alan. <laughs> nice to meet you, Alan. Did you watch the funeral today? I didn't, though. No. How was the visit? Work. Oh, right. Good point. Uh, <laughs> a good Thatcherite virtue. <laughs> Provided you live in the South. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Whereabouts are you from? Lancashire. Oh, you're a good Northern Tory. You turncoat. Ooh. <laughs> oh, look at a good Northern Tory. So, were your parents Tory? Oh, brilliant. They didn't even discuss it in the house. That generation, <laughs> brilliant. Okay, let me make my own mind up. Oh. So you sort of, you know, the, 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 the term has been bastardised now, but would you say one nation Tory? Clark, Rifkind, Disraeli. Macmillan. Macmillan? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? What is it about Macmillan that you like so much? The sea of change. The sea of change. The wind of change. The wind of change. <laughs> the air of change. <laughs> Who cares? As long as it's blowing in my direction. Wonderful. <laughs> Ding dong, the witches were dead, of course, got to uh, number two. Did anyone here buy it? <laughs> I just went out and bought the video. Uh, the, the Wizard of Oz. Uh, that didn't count, uh, apparently. The problem is with Ding dong, the witches dead is it's a horrible tune. But it's almost like something by, like, Ty Al Cruz. It gets in your head. <laughs> ding dong, the witches dead. All week. And I disagree with it, but I, like, I, th I think it's deplorable that people would buy that, to be honest. But all week, I find myself like, on public transport, just going... <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, there was an old boy at the funeral today, when the camera was passing around, it went like that. And I'm sure he was going... <laughs> 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 not here, not here, not here. <laughs> I'll give that to you this, right? I mean, I think I disagree with most of what she did. But the, the problem is with people is that, and I'm sure a lot of you here in work in politics, is that people don't actually realise that there's a world before each Prime Minister that comes in. So the Tories like to pretend that 1997 was year dot. And there are a load of people joining the Labour Party now who think that before 2010, there was no problems at all. And equally, there are so many people in the world who think that before 1979, 
We lived in utopia. Everyone was on a million quid a year. And then Margaret Thatcher deliberately <laughs> turned up because she's horrible and made a load of people poor. <laughs> there are certain things that had to change. I don't disagree with the, the privatisations of rail, of gas, water, electric. The manner in which it was done, I think, is, is, is a problem. And, you know, you look at your energy bills today. The regulation hasn't been effective. You can swap between providers, but actually the regulator has no teeth. Now, if, if regulation actually worked, it wouldn't be such a bad world. So actually, I don't disagree with everything Thatcher did, but this, this idea that new labour was Thatcher, I don't, I don't like. You know, she would have never brought in a minimum wage. She would have never put the money into schools and hospitals that she did. So I think everyone just needs a bit of a dose of reality. There's no way Britain could have carried on as it had done in 1979 and the way that Labour had been running the country. That said, I think Thatcher was probably a little bit too overzealous. The manner in which she did things was bad. Um, I will say this for her. I think a lot of people on the left forget that Margaret Thatcher had a great sense of humour. And, and that, that gets lost, you know, we see her as a demon. I grew up hating her, she's the reason I joined the Labour Party. I remember the day Thatcher left office, I wanted to join the Labour Party when I was nine. <laughs> like, I was so passionately took against her and everything she stood for, but, but in time, you obviously, you know, if I'd have joined it at nine, I mean, God knows. Probably, that's still probably before Ed Miliband would have uh, had leadership ambition, just about. But <laughs> I'd have probably ended up in the shadow cabinet if I'd have joined, actually, at nine years old today. But there we are. Uh, but she had a great sense of humour. She, she actually did a sketch for Yes Prime Minister. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. Which was the, the prevailing, uh, the number one satire of the day. She wrote a sketch for Yes Prime Minister and did it with Jim Hacker and Sir Humphrey. Brilliant bit. And it was actually quite funny. I, I urge you, if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and check it out. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you this. You would not get a Prime Minister today ringing up the thick of it. <laughs> I've written you a little sketch. I'd like to be with Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> I would love to see David Cameron in a sketch with Malcolm Tucker. You know way, you're fucking bully into fuck. You know way, I fucking sit down, but I fucking tell it. Cause you sit there like a bunch of fucking doofies choristers waiting to pay the fucking soggy biscuit game. I wouldn't even pay the fucking soggy biscuit game with you lot cause you don't look like you got any fucking balls. You look like you ejaculate feathers, you pillow face. Fuck! You're amazing. Wouldn't it? Suddenly that day will never happen. <laughs> the, the only thing I've seen this week, apart from Thatcher's funeral and the three party election broadcasts, has anyone else seen them? It's a stretch even in this room, to be honest, isn't it? <laughs> I watched all of them, I sky plus all of them, I watched them online. The Tor has anyone seen the Tory one, first of all? I mean, party, I, everyone hates them. Party political broadcasts, historically, even hated by people in politics, but I've always loved watching them. There's something quite. Because it's politicians being awkward a lot of the time and doing what they think is cool advertising. <laughs> and the David Cameron one, if you haven't seen it, go on YouTube, it's him stood sort of stiff like that, with a full body shot, and it's a sort of chrome background. It looks like he's in an office with like a sort of glass wall with sort of people moving in the background. And it's him going, it looks like a hostage video. Him <laughs> sort of looking down the barrel going like that. In these difficult times, we're doing all we can to help small families and businesses. It's almost as if though George Osborne is in the corner just going, fucking say it. <laughs> sort of standing there looking terrified. It looks so cheap because it's something like that chrome background. I thought at one point he was, he was going to go, if you've had a fall or accident, <laughs> you could be entitled to compensation, but not any benefits. And I love these, so they use real people. Now, I've worked in <laughs> politics. There's no such thing as real people on a party political broadcast, right? So it's these people. They've gone to the West Midlands. There's one accent that doesn't convey political gravitas. <laughs> With the greatest of respect to the West Midlands, it's the West Midlands. <laughs> so they've got these bits of going, did you know the deficit has been cut by a third? And all these 
a supposed real people going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's quite good, isn't it? <laughs> now, what a reasonable public that the moment you tell them a fact, they just believe it. In 15 years of party political membership, I've never met anyone like that. I've met people when I've tried to film bits for just the website of like Lincoln Labour Party, whoever it is, that would stand in the street and you go, oh, you do realise that we've given, uh, we've cut the middle rate of income tax, so you'd be better off. And they go, no, I don't want to talk about that, mate. I served in Bosnia. And you go, okay, um, well. <laughs> The local MP is called Gillian Merrin, why don't you give up? Whoa, 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 come back here, mate, I'll break your back. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> There's no way that there are normal people on this. There's no way that there are normal people on those party political broadcasts. Some of the people I've met, people in their underpants, show them on party political broadcasts. Show the guy who answered my door. No, he answered his door. <laughs> what a heck of a campaign that was. They were coming to us. <laughs> and answered his door with a handlebar tash. Brown wife fronts and nothing else, and two dogs in Wales. I went, all right, mate, you're going to be voting on May the 4th. He went, look at me, mate. Do I look like I'm engaging in the political process? That is, mate. Get those people on. Get those people on your party political broadcasts. A phenomenal broadcast, really, that. Uh, the Lib Dems one is out. Has anyone seen the Lib Dem one? Uh, the Lib Dem one involves Nick Clegg and other people holding up what their whole campaign is for the local elections is, uh, thanks to the new tax cut that they've given to everyone, everyone will be at least, everyone in work will be at least £600 a year better off. So everyone's got these white bits of card saying, what would you do with £600? And they're all very responsible, all these Lib Dem voters. They're all turning it over saying, oh, I'd save towards my kids' education. Or I'd put it towards a house. Stuff like that. No one is telling the truth on that advert. <laughs> 600 quid, I go to Glastonbury and get shit-faced. <laughs> End of. At least have someone there sarcastic <laughs> turning it over saying, I put it towards my nine grand a year tuition fees, Nick. <laughs> but Nick Clegg holds his up, but never turns his over. So he holds it up saying, what would you do with 600 quid? But you never see what he says. But I got hold of his card. <laughs> And I can reveal to you now, so this is what it says. Can everyone see that? It says, what would you do with £600? What would Nick Clegg do with £600, I wonder? Prank call Chris Hoon 600 times. <laughs> That's what he'd do. Pretending to be his parole officer. Every day. <laughs> Hello, is that Mr Hoon? <laughs> yes, Mr Hoon, it's uh, uh, Mr Smythe here. I'm your parole officer. I just want to say that you're going to be released this afternoon. <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah, see you in eight months, mate. There is though. Labour's is the most incredible. Uh, Labour's involves... Now, you're not going to believe me if I tell you. It involves Ed Miliband. First of all, that's just ridiculous. It involves, it involves Ed Miliband talking over rising string music. And it's nice, Ed. It's soft, Ed. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'll talk about things that I believe in. Come on. Yeah. I'll talk about that. <laughs> Talking in that way, you know, that, that awe-inspiring way that he does. <laughs> right? But what Eddie's talking about, what nice, soft, string music Eddie's talking about, is the fact that he disagrees with one central plank of new Labour policy in the last government. What Ed likes to say over rising string music is, no word of a lie, there are too many immigrants in this country. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what the hell is this? This is the problem when you stop listening to him. He can say anything. <laughs> he 
Fred Miliband has effectively just drifted right and no one has, no one has even noticed. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, God knows what he's like in the office. He must be insufferable. Good old right-wing Ed Miliband. Uh, stop whining, love. Stick your dickers. All the beakers a cup of tea. <laughs> Mate, it's a right old git. Can't wait for our next party political broadcast. I mean, gay marriage is one thing, but bisexuals, make your fucking mind up. <laughs> God. People keep saying to me, oh, I need this benefit, I need that benefit. Get a job. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the classic, I can't wait for it to, to hear another man say, I'll tell you what, five years, we'll be a minority in this country. <laughs> The classic Ed Miliband, that was a party political broadcast on behalf of the British National Labour Party. <laughs> Good old Ed Miliband, incredible stuff. Uh, one of the people, oh, by the way, is anyone standing in the local elections on May the 2nd? Uh. Still making your mind up, was that you, mate? Who was that, anyone? Oh, Lembit, of course. <laughs> Whereabouts are you standing? Uh, maybe Lambeth. Maybe Lambeth? <laughs> Doesn't sound like it's in the bag yet. <laughs> 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 oh, don't start now. I've got me a tale of woe until that's the second half. But I worked, when I worked for the Labour Party for, for many years, I used to go around the country helping run by-elections and local elections. By-elections are fine because there's one candidate and everyone campaigns behind them. The problem in local elections is you've often got 60 candidates, many of whom you don't want to win. <laughs> many of whom themselves don't want to win. You just can't not field candidates. I remember one guy ringing me up one morning, I think in 2007, after the local elections in Nottingham, rang me up. Livid. He went, I want to speak to Matt Ford. I said, hello, East Midlands Regional Office. I want to speak to Matt Ford. I said, it's me speaking. He said, you told me I won't get fucking elected. <laughs> <laughs> got it. That's what you got to be, got elected. <laughs> Amazing. We campaigned. campaigned against the BNP in Stoke-on-Trent for many years. And this, what you want from candidates, right, ideally, is a lot of enthusiasm. Because sometimes it can be difficult being a candidate. And some of you in here, apart from Lembit, may well have stood in elections. It's personally very difficult. And it's very stressful, and if you lose, you know, it's a very personal experience. So what you always want from them is enthusiasm, but the right sort of enthusiasm. So the leaflets that you get through the door that you put straight in the bin are actually carefully designed to try and catch your attention. They'll be centrally designed by a regional office or a national party to sort of accentuate our messages and make it look bright and, and happy. They're the leaflets that should be given out. What you never want to hear when you're going to deliver leaflets with a candidate is, uh, all right, Mickey, are you ready? Oh, I'm more than ready, mate. I've made my own leaflets. <laughs> Have you, mate? Give them here. I, honestly, some of the stuff I see, like, just incredible, like, apart from not being badly designed, being in Comic Sans, never. <laughs> never, ever do that. There was one in Stoke, and this is no word of a lie, this guy had drawn for his election address a cartoon, right? But he hadn't drawn it with his hands, I mean, that makes it sound already like that's going to be wild. <laughs> We've done it on Microsoft Draw, so it looked like it'd been done by an Etch-a-Sketch, right? We were fighting the BNP, so what he'd done was draw, for his election address, a cartoon of a skinhead eating soup, right? And on, on this tin of soup, it said, loony soup. And then he'd labelled it with two arrows, one that said loon and another one that said spoon. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not lying to you. The only other detail in the picture, by the way, was a clock. <laughs> it's half past four, if anyone's interested. So, mate, 
And I, I understand you don't want like sort of dick tax from central office or whatever you see it, but that is not going to win an election. <laughs> I don't know anyone that said, no, 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 I've heard your policies on crime, I've heard your policies on health, I've heard your policies on unemployment. When have you ever drawn me anything? <laughs> <laughs> you just don't care. Really ridiculous. Awful people are some of the, uh, the candidates that you'll see fielded across the country, but please don't go out. Although I think in London we won't have it, but uh, get involved, go out there and campaign. It's all right, old hoot. Um, one person who's thinking about in, in uh, politics is Eddie Izzard. Who have seen this? Who are excited about Eddie Izzard perhaps going into Parliament? <laughs> Three people. I mean, it's quite, you know what? I, I'm always saying we need more personalities in politics. That's partly why I put this night on to sort of showcase some of the great personalities we've got. But I think it's still stretching it a bit, having Izzard. It would be, I mean, wouldn't you become a, uh, an MP if he gets elected? Fair play to him, I think he's a clever bloke. But you can't have Eddie Izzard as a minister. It'd be mayhem. What if he's a Home Office minister when riots kick off? Minister Izzard, Minister Izzard, we've got, we've got riots. How are we going to contain the protesters? Wow. Send in the monkey police. Yeah. <laughs> Send them in. Monkeys with guns going, fucking hell, I've got a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck me, yeah. Bananas or guns, yeah. Fuck me. Send in the, send in the monkey police. What? It's going to be chaos. Who is his special advisors going to be? I want Michael McIntyre. Protesters, protesters, we love protesters. Hello. Hello. We love, why, when you're protesting, why you always look so angry? Why do people do this? Why? No one ever protests every do they? Why? <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. We can't live in a world like that. Although you could send Billy Connolly in to filibuster any piece of legislation. Okay, the third reading of the highways bill. There you go. <laughs> I met Judy Dench <laughs> on a highway. <laughs> to go for six hours. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, hope, I hope, you know, in terms of the Thatcher... Uh, Death. I genuinely respect her for being the first female Prime Minister. The only female Prime Minister we've ever had. Anyone who wins three full terms deserves a mountain of respect. Whatever she did, uh, and I disagree with large parts of it, she's, the, she's still the politician by which all of us are judged. So I hope for those of you that are supportive of her, uh, you know, that I haven't been too disrespectful to her. And I would never usually say this, but I think it's, a, it's kind of a special day in an odd way. And uh, I hope those of you that uh, wanted your pound of flesh at least had a laugh about her, you know, being dead. Um, <laughs> so there we are, so that's the end of, uh, we'll, we'll have a drink now, so do go to the bar, have a drink. The second half, uh, we'll take questions from Lembit. Now I'm aware that in previous weeks when I've gone to the audience, if you've been here before, I haven't always been able to see people, so we're going to bring the house lights up, because I do want you to be able to ask questions uh, of our guests. So during the break, ruminate uh, on what you might ask Lembit Opec, and in the second half, you get the chance to do it. For the time being, I've been Matt Ford, I'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, Lembit, welcome. Thank you very much indeed. Great to have you here. Um, now, I was looking at your Twitter feed on the day that Margaret Thatcher died. I know, um, you've, just, you've already quoted it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think it's fair to say you, you're not a fan of hers. Did you watch the funeral today? No, I didn't. I didn't watch the funeral. I did do the Twitter feed. I thought that people were being negative, you know, and some people were being positive, but somebody's died. So thanks for using that line. <laughs> so, um, I, didn't, I didn't watch it because I find the thing sickening, to be honest with you. Um, not the fact that she's dead, but both sides have been doing exactly what you said before. It's a Tory pageant at the same time as being dancing on your grave, and I'm not really wanting to do either of those things. Do you think it's, it's been a waste of public money, the funeral? Uh, yes, I do really. Uh, uh, £10 million when they're cutting jobs just doesn't seem right to me. I think that they should have done it in a way where uh, people who wanted to really show respect, like your friend Alan and so forth, can do that with respect. 
but uh, to spend that much money was just a bit on the high side, I think. But there we are. So when you, when you think about your legacy, uh, of her legacy rather, um, uh, and when you were growing up in politics, how old were you when, when Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister? I was 14, and initially I thought she was fantastic, like a lot of really? people. Yeah, 14, my parents were voting Tory at the time. Uh, Northern Ireland. My parents were from Eastern Europe, that's why I'm called Lembotopic, and uh, they moved to Is Northern everyone from Eastern Europe is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Racialist. <laughs> With a name like Matt Ford, you'd be laughed out of Estonia, mate. <laughs> With a face like this, I'd be laughed out of most countries anyway. Don't push um, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was basically, uh, and they moved from Estonia to Northern Ireland, and I said, Well, why did you do that? And they said something like, well, we wanted you to suffer as much as we did. <laughs> but um, I, I grew up over there, and I, I was terrified. When I was a kid, I was terrified of somebody from Northern Ireland up there, I think. Um, I was terrified of, of, the, of the Russians, primarily, because it was better to be dead than red in my family, and so forth. And, and I actually thought that Thatcher would stop. I actually thought that the Russians would invade, and we'd all be killed in, a stone, in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And so I thought Thatcher was the one person who'd stop that from happening. And so I was a Tory when I was 14, but luckily I couldn't vote. That way, and by the age of eighteen, I uh, I sort of wised up. No offence. And then, and then, by the time she left office in nineteen ninety, what were you doing then? Um, I actually had a proper job then. Uh, I was I was selling soap powder up in. Uh, <laughs> oh, hands up those people who don't use soap powder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I could have been as successful as a Lib Dem as I was at selling soap powder, the party would have been in government on its own. <laughs> in, in, instead of that, I was up in Procter and Gamble in Newcastle upon Tyne. Uh, working as the assistant brand manager on Fairy Liquid, as it was. Yeah, Fairy Liquid, yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think Fairy Liquid's ever had such a positive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they finally found something they agree with the Lib Dem on. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed that, and um, frankly, it was just a fantastic experience. I, I did a lot of politics, really, from, from an early age, because it completely changed my, my whole family's life. So I grew up in a political environment. Then I went into PG and uh, then got sucked back into politics in Newcastle. So what changed you from being a, a Tory to being a Lib Dem? Thatcher. It really was. I mean, that's why I feel very strongly about it. I respect today. In fact, I actually put this on uh, for, for her sake, and, uh, because I'm colourblind. And uh, <laughs> uh, the, the fact is that I just saw her wrecking the country in the 80s. I was heavily involved in student politics. And uh, she wanted to introduce things like grants, and, and uh, get rid of grants and introduce loans, and things like that, and fees for, for students. So I joined the Liberal Democrats. Moving on. And I was marching with maybe some of you in the 80s against uh, all kinds of stuff that was going on at the time. And I, I never really recovered from, from, from that. It, it's not that I disliked her as a person. I disliked what she did. And I thought the minus strike was a very damaging uh, thing for the country as well. So a lot of people whose politics are forged in that era, regardless of their, of their background, would have joined the Labour Party. Why couldn't you bring yourself to be Labour in that era? Too authoritarian. Uh, I'm, I fundamentally believe in, in liberty and freedom. Uh, although um, I'm, for example, I don't take drugs, I think they should be regulated. Uh, I've always thought it's absolutely ludicrous to tell people what their sexual orientation should be. Uh, and, and when Clause 28 came in, it was just obvious to me that the Tories had a, an absolutist agenda. But I didn't see anything better on the other side. I mean, Neil Kinnock was a nice bloke, uh, nevertheless just didn't seem plausible. And Paddy Ashton was in charge at the time, so I joined. 1989 I joined. Before then, I didn't even think that the Lib Dems or Liberals as they then were, yeah. were good enough. So in terms of the SDP, would you have been a supporter of that? 
not really, because David Owen was actually the only person who actually played himself in Spitting Images. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and just he was insufferable. Uh, the first time I met David Owen, uh, some, some admirer was saying to him, you made a really great speech today. So he went, yes, I did. Oh! Uh, <laughs> I so I thought, maybe, maybe not. No. So it was 1989. Paddy Ashton convinced me to join. It's quite interesting what the parallels are. Obviously, you sort of alluded to it there, the relationship between the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives now. When you think about, as you sit, the £10 million wasted on the funeral, are, are you angry when you see your Lib Dem colleagues supporting that? Uh, I'm not angry. It's so easy to be bitter and, and angry. It's, it's, it's not that important. And loads of people, including people in here, will have agreed that it was a good investment. So if you start fighting the pointless fights, then you never really make the big stuff happen either. And you just have to ride through it and respect that there are different views. Because I would... I mean, I, I'm probably the only person here, perhaps you and I, Alan... Uh, I wanted a state funeral for Thatcher, partly because I want to set a precedent, because I cannot stand the thought that Tony Blair will leave us and it would just, <laughs> just be tipped into a pond or something. I, I, want, I, think, and I think actually, I think, I think there needs to be a, a sort of rebalancing in our relationship with politicians. It, being Prime Minister should be seen, as I believe it is, as the height of public service, and we give them awful abuse for doing it, they don't get paid enough for doing it, it you know, Tony Blair, all, all, I mean, look at him, he's, he's almost walking dead anyway, <laughs> it, it aged him so much, part of me thinks, you know, the one thing we could do is at least give them a decent send-off, I don't think we have enough respect for them, I think that has to be two-way, and part of me watching, even though I disagree with most of what Margaret Thatcher did today, I thought, well, that sets the precedent now, at least. As long as it is a precedent, then that's okay. Yeah. Alan, would you give Gordon Brown the state funeral? <laughs> Tony Bear, so Yes, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were good. So, so Matt Ford and his dad do agree on that. Then. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's not saying no. He's not saying oh, no. Oh, he's not my dad. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm aware of. I mean, but who is in Darth Vader? <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a pallbearer at Gordon Brown's funeral. That would be a, a, a heck of a job. But I think you know, it should be given a state, regardless of. John Major, I think, should be given a decent send-off, shouldn't he? Nah, he's a really nice bloke. I once saw, once saw John... He is a really nice... No, sorry, no, no, that really wasn't like sarcasm. Him. I've got a signed photo of him. <laughs> Alan's about to storm the stage there. Um, uh, John Major, just after he lost uh, the election in 97, uh, I was showing some Lib Dems around the, the, the uh, Parliament, and they suddenly saw John Major, the former Prime Minister, and it was a really sweet moment. All the Lib Dems ran across to him. It was leaving me on my own and got his autograph and the photos, and this 14-year-old kid called um, Elwin, uh, went up to him and said, Mr Major, do you run the country? And it was so sweet, he just went down, he went, well, I used to. Oh, <laughs> legend. Such a sweet guy, and that's true, yeah. he's a lovely bloke. When you think about your time in Parliament, and even, even outside it, you're still in politics, the relationship between the parties is, is, is often unspoken, isn't it, that there will be friendships across the political divide. When you think about the people that you made friends in, maybe the Labour Party or the Conservative Party, who are those people? Are the people you're still in touch with? Well, I mean, if the inference is that I slept with a Rina Curry, like <laughs> nothing has been proved. <laughs> <laughs> but she is a very good kisser. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alan tells me. <laughs> uh, I was never very tribal. That's one of the reasons. Maybe I wasn't that great a politician. In a way. <laughs> um, why was that funny? <laughs> <laughs> you thought that was the reason? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was... All oh, right, OK. Well, I wasn't that good a politician. I joined the Lib Dems when they were at 3% in the opinion poll with a statistical variation of plus or minus 4%. <laughs> uh, maybe bad at statistics. I, I had a lot of friends, and I still do have a lot of friends across party. 
I just, I'm not that tribal because I would rather work with someone who I disagree with in principle as long as they actually have got the principles. And what I found, certainly in the last five years I was an MP, I was there for 13 years, was an increasing social set of people who'd never done anything else. Mm. And they'd say, metaphorically speaking, these are my principles and if you don't like them, I'll change them. <laughs> and that was something that slightly came in with New Labour. Mm. Uh, George Galloway, great friend of mine, we have differences. Um, and in a sense, the one thing I will say for Thatcher is, although I disagreed with her values, she was genu genuinely a value-centred politician. Well, what it is interesting talking to you about the fact that you, even at a young age, come from a, more of a small-c conservative tradition, rather, because in my lifetime, the Lib Dems have always tried to sort of sell themselves as to the left of Labour. And there's a fascinating poll done by YouGov about the attitudes to Margaret Thatcher in her, in her death. And one of them was that I think most people, on balance, thought that Margaret Thatcher had been overall better for the country than bad including 52% of Lib Dems, and even knowing that a lot of Lib Dems come from you know, an economic liberal background, which effectively you could say is Thatcherism, I was still surprised that it was that high. I mean, in your time in the Lib Dems, is it fair to say that actually there's always been that duality at the heart of it, that there are a fair number of Lib Dems that are on the right? Uh, now, yes, but what's really happened is the party has shifted to the right because we've got a right-wing leadership. And uh, Nick Clegg and myself, we're not best friends. When I lost my seat, uh, I, I was emptying my office and... I saw him and I said, well done, Nick, for becoming Deputy Prime Minister, but he didn't see me. Um, it, it, was, it was a big lift. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it's too I'm tragic. not this. <laughs> much. Uh, um, thanks. Oh. It was pretty bad whenever <laughs> somebody feels so sorry, he has to applaud you when he's interviewing you. Whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, me and Nick don't really see eye to eye. We, we agree to differ. And, and because of him, a lot of the kind of left-leaning libertarians, people like me, have left the party. And so almost the people who are left are, are more comfortable with the coalition than the people who aren't. Um, I am also aware of the fact that, especially as time goes by, Thatcher will be rehabilitated. Mm. She'll be more popular in 10 years' time than she was, say, 10 years ago. And that's for all kinds of reasons, when, um, because nostalgia is like that a little bit. Uh, what I'm really, really surprised by, though, is the fact that the leadership can't see the number of people who have stopped supporting the Lib Dems. They were a third the vote that we had in, in the last general election. But I'm a lone voice in that, and a Democrat, so I just have to wait. But isn't that part of being in government? You know, any, any party that takes part in a coalition or indeed forms a government, you know, the Tories are less popular than they were three years ago. That's just the nature of holding office, that's isn't it? That's because they're supporting the Lib Dems now. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the you know, you're in government, you're in yeah, politics yeah. To, to be in government, aren't you? Not to, not to be a, glor a glorified pressure group. And it's something the Labour Party had to come to terms with. The Lib Dems have had to do it in a slightly different way because, of course, they didn't win an election themselves. But I respect them for taking part in that coalition. And I think there's a, there's a myth peddled by a lot of people in the Labour Party, which is that... The Lib Dems chose the Tories over Labour, yeah. and they chose it because they're nasty right-wing liberals who were always in disguise. The truth is, the, the arithmetic didn't make sense. There was no way that a Labour-Lib Dem coalition could have got over the line to have a parliamentary majority, so they were effectively forced in. Um, but now they're in, do you think that they're having any positive influence on the Tories? Well, first of all, you're right. Mathematically, um, I'm sure this learned audience recognises this, there, was n there were only two possibilities, yeah. either a coalition with the Tories or another general election. Mm. And if the Lib Dem, because Labour actually didn't have enough numbers, if the Lib Dems and Labour had got together, it still wouldn't have been enough to form an overall majority. And you can't have a parliament formed by, a government formed by the people who finish second and third. Um, that's theoretically, you could doesn't have, ethically it doesn't feel comfortable. That's how Labour felt, and people like David Blunkett, to their credit, um, simply scuppered the possibility of Labour being in government mm. again. They, it would have totally destroyed Labour for about a generation if they had. Mm. So it was either Lib Dems, and Conservatives falling, forming a stable government, 
or another election. Now, if the Lib Dems had walked away in 2010 from the one chance they'd had in 100 years to be in government, they would never have been voted in again in any way, and they'd have just been destroyed. It would have been a two-party election, so they did the right thing. My issue is about what's happened since the Lib Dems got in, rather than the actual uh, decision to be in the coalition, too, right? Do you think they've done anything positive? Yeah, quite a few things. I think they have moderated some of the uh, Tory agenda. I think there have been deeper cuts, and the cuts agenda has utterly failed, in my view. We've got increased spending, uh, um, sorry, increased national debt, and we've got cuts at the same time. That probably would have been even worse. I think probably on foreign policy, we've got a slightly more benign approach, but the difficulty is people don't see that. And what they really see is the fact that the economy is faltering, tuition fees, which was an utter disgrace, an utterly disgraceful break of a pledge, and uh, unforgivable in a sense, and this is sort of flopping around, and that's a problem. Do you think Nick Clegg was right to apologise in the manner and in the timing that he did? You mean in the song? In the song, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not unlike the, uh, <laughs> which is dead, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yes, but he, yes, he would have been right to apologise, but he didn't apologise for breaking the promise. He apologised for making the promise. <laughs> it, I, 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 I'm sorry for, um, you know, uh, telling you... Actually, he's turned into Tony Blair, hasn't he, in this example. Said, I'm, I'm sorry for promising to resist tuition fees. That's what he said. He didn't say, I'm sorry for breaking the rules, breaking the promise, breaking the pledge. And, and that's been pretty transparent to the educational community. So, yeah, I mean, good try, but no cigar for that one. In terms of Nick Clegg, you say that you and him don't see eye to eye. Now, there's this rule change that you're trying to get past yeah. to the Lib Dem okay. leadership rules, which would make it easier to unseat a Lib Dem leader. Is that born of a personal grudge against Nick Clegg, or is this a genuine thirst for democracy in the party? Guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That was an irresistible comedy line. Actually, let me tell you the truth about this, Hatford. When I was being accused of agitating against like there was this amendment to the Constitution which said that the Lib Dem conference uh, could get rid of the leader, uh, which they can't do at the moment. Uh, and I was being criticised for going around the country agitating on this. At the time, which was about eight weeks ago, that that story went out. Do you know where I was? I was 1,500 miles southwest of Honolulu with my mum. Oh. On a ship. Oh. <laughs> we tried like, with my ageing 72-year-old mother with mobility issues. <laughs> you really don't care about parents <laughs> and no one knows how that feels um, but, you, uh, but you support uh, the change yeah, well, yeah, actually I wasn't even sure about the change but the leadership is so paranoid about me that even though I was 12,000 miles away they blame me for it even Napoleon in exile didn't have that kind of <laughs> and, and so I came back to this, this, this pariah thing yet again you know, that criticised me Clegg dislikes me so much so concerned about me, he actually mentioned me in a speech uh, at a party conference. And initially I went, how dare he do that? And I said, oh, that's just, that's just been mentioned by the leader. This <laughs> 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 is totally <laughs> schizophrenic. I know that's schizophrenic. But imagine if you were on the... Uh, what's, what's your name? Phil. Imagine, Phil, if you, if you were watching the telly and uh, David Cameron was... Where did you come from? Cardiff. Cardiff. Oh, Cardiff. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well done. <laughs> that's fine, yeah. yeah. I want to thank all the... I want to thank all the, all the people in Wales uh, who made it possible for me to be here tonight, which was the 14,000 Conservative voters in Montgomeryshire. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Phil, imagine if you're watching television, everything's funny to you. I, I would like to implore you to come to my gate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and then they, and, and Cameron said, well, you know, the real problem in Cardiff is, is Phil. You'd be really offended. They'd say, 
I was mentioned by the Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel, the schizophrenic thing about, about me and Clegg having this love-hate relationship, or hate-hate relationship. Um, uh, but, you know, at the same time, he doesn't deliberately do his, his worst, like you said about Thatcher before. Uh, and I respect the fact that we're just never going to get on. Uh, the change was a democratic one. I lost that. I'm a Democrat, so you know when the tide's out, you, you stop walking towards the sea. So what did he, what did he say in his speech? <laughs> You love this. You well, love yeah, this. This is the opposite of counselling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to carry on standing outside your house the way I have done for four weeks to get onto this programme, uh, but for the wrong reasons. Um, and basically, he said that some people are talking this party down, and big long thing about this. Some people are saying this party will never make it, and I say enough, Lambert. Like oh, yeah. well, it's not enough, Lambert. There only is one Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> One, you know, uh, admittedly, when I was uh, in Parliament, Estonia was overrepresented <laughs> in British politics by five thousand percent. But uh, you know, thought it was a bit, bit strong. Because he was always on the right of the party, wasn't he, Nick Clegg? He was, he was my MEP for many years in the East Midlands, and I used to talk to people. It used to frustrate me. People I was at university with, people since university, you genuinely thought Nick Clegg was a lefty. He was truly believed that Nick Clegg's a real left winger. It's only been with the coalition. Who was it, Nick Griffin? The <laughs> <laughs> people have sort of woken up to the idea that actually. Nick Clegg, in my view, is just a Tory by another name, and out of electoral expediency, I believe, chose the Liberal Democrats. That, that may or may not have been his motive. I, I can't really say that you want me to. Well, uh, I'm, just, I'm just interested in what he's like as a leader, because we, we hear so right. little about his leadership style. In the spirit of fairness, he's not a bad bloke. Mm. If he was sitting here, you'd think, yeah, it's quite beguiling, quite interesting. He wouldn't be able to answer some of the political kind of U-turns and, and ducking and diving issues. But he's not a bad bloke. For me, he is, uh, to the right of me by a long way, economically. And he's authoritarian to an extent. How come one person has actually got a signal down here? That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there is one person who actually works for the CIA who is sitting <laughs> right over there. Um, they're, they're all looking at each other. And one person's going like this. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Um, the, the thing about Clegg is he, he, he does his best. But, uh, and also, you, you grow up for various reasons, like I've described, with certain political views, and he's just to the right of me. That doesn't make him right, doesn't make him wrong. Uh, it's just not where I am, and it's not where I think the Lib Dems should be. So, so you know, in the round, I can make fun of him. Uh, I respect him, and we, get, we have a cordial relationship. But we just agree to differ. So when you look at the Labour Party under Ed Miliband now, and they're saying a lot of things that are, some people seem to find very attractive, they're ahead of the opinion polls, are you not tempted? Do you not think, actually, I could play a role in the Labour Party? I do like classical music. Yeah. <laughs> um, a bit... <laughs> Um, I could play a role in the Labour Party, but they don't really know what they're standing for at the moment. They're still going through a period of reconstruction. And they, I think they, uh, unless Scotland gets independence, they probably will win the next general election. Ladies and gentlemen, I predict that the next uh, Prime Minister will be Ed Miliband. And, uh, and that's just the Labour people. <laughs> that, that, that's just Phil from Cardiff, actually. Yeah. He just, well, he just his voice. What I find fascinating about Ed Miliband and the potential, and I, I, I agree with you that it, it, if I was a betting person, I'd put my nail in being the next Prime Minister, is that he seems to break the rules of modern politics, which is that Labour needs to have a very coherent centre-left, mm. uh, but nevertheless centrist message, uh, that it needs to be well-disciplined, uh, and that the Tories can only really win elections when they reach out on things like the NHS. If Ed Miliband wins, he will, have, he will effectively broken the hold that New Labour has over the party, which was always, we can only win with us. That's to an extent, and that is actually poignant today, Thatcher's legacy. Thatcher was such a 
such a powerful force in, in British politics that she actually shifted her opposition. And Ed, even Ed Miliband reflects that to an extent. Mm. I think David Miliband would have unquestionably been the next Prime Minister if he'd been in charge. Ed is not quite so definite. Uh, in a sense, I'm more in aligned with Ed, Ed's uh, politics, more left-wing and, and more well, neutrally libertarian. The thing about it is, if he wins, as ever it's by default, it's because people don't like the coalition, because the, the Lib Dems are disillusioned, the soft Labour voters go back to Labour, mm. and, and the Tories take a hit because... Uh, the, the man mountain of financial analysis, George Osborne, uh, um, cock, I think the technical phrase is cocked up. <laughs> well, you talk about being a libertarian, that's interesting because some people would say that, that makes you quite right wing. You know, there's a great liberal tradition of freedom from, but also freedom to. And where do you sort of stand on that scale? Do you, do you see the state as being an enabling force or do you see the state as impinging on people's lives? There are two axes in politics. It's, there's something called the Nolan chart, mm. and I can't explain it in detail now. There's a, there's a left-right axis for uh, the economy and, or, and financial things, and then there's, if you like, a north-south axis for freedom. Yeah. If you want to know more about that, um, uh, there's a book called uh, The Alternative View, available for £14.99 uh, by Lembertopic and Ed Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thousand copies in your changing room. <laughs> um, um, and essentially, I have always thought that on economic policy, liberals haven't been that strong. Uh, I, I'm not a libertarian when it comes to the free market. Mm. Uh, a little bit more to, to the left, I think. I actually, I'm not so sure that uh, privatising the utilities was that a great idea. I know you have a different view on that. Um, but what I really care about, what got me into politics was the freedom thing. Because mm. various members of my family got killed in the Soviet Union and didn't get out because of the utter, like, the iron fist of, of um, the Soviet rule. And, and what I really care about isn't so much the ec economy. Uh, I, I studied economics at university and I just decided it was a pseudoscience rather than a social science. But I really care, there's another economist today who snorted sadly because he finished his degree. Um, <laughs> and is now, what's that, working for the Treasury. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, but it's the, somebody's hissing you, so they don't even know um, who you are. Or was that your wife? Um, uh, <laughs> for different reasons. I'm going down a very bad path there. <laughs> but with records, with the social um, agenda, I really care about freedom. I want to give people their freedom back. You want to take drugs? Let's regulate it. You're not going to stop someone taking drugs by saying it's illegal. You're not going to stop an addiction by making it hard to get the drug. So I really cared about that. Um, the sexual agenda. Why on earth does any state think it's got the right to tell you who to sleep with and how to sleep with them and, and everything that goes with that? But then, but equally, then that, that's a, that's something that sounds like a common sense thing. But then, the age of consent would be an issue within that, wouldn't it? Well, so the state does have a right, in some regards, to say that you shouldn't have sex with someone below the age of sixteen. It's the harm principle, and that's the really tough bit about being a liberal. You have to kind of work out what what is an acceptable intervention. What what a libertarian really, what a real libertarian says is, as long as you are competent to make a choice you should be allowed to make the choice. The really impossible law would be to say, if you can prove yourself to be mature enough to make a sexual judgment, you should be allowed to do it, whether you're 14 or 22. But of course, you can't have a law which is like that. It's unenforceable. But what you should do is be tolerant of people who are mentors, able to make decisions, saying, I know this harms me, but I'm still going to have a drink, still going to take drugs, and say, OK, the state will tax you enough to deal with a mess afterwards. Now, that's not a popular decision. Um, six years ago, I was the only MP, well, actually, George Galloway probably as well, and a couple of other ones, 
um, maybe four of us said, we should negotiate with the Taliban. I was pariahed for saying that. What are we doing? We're negotiating with the Taliban. So sometimes being a libertarian is a lonely place to be. You get, you get lambasted for it. Mail on Sunday, everybody else. And then afterwards they say, well, of course, that's what we have to do. But it's a point of view encapsulated, isn't it? Oddly, in the American right, people like Ron Paul would describe themselves as a libertarian. Do, do you share his values? Yeah, and not economically, but socially, I think Ron Paul, some of you may not have heard of him, look him up. Ron Paul is a breath of fresh air in American politics. He really gave a, an alternative view, um, available for £14.99. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, less than that on Amazon. I, that's one reason I resent them. Um, uh, <laughs> Ron Paul gave an alternative view to American, American politics, and he's a fascinating fellow. He would never have been selected as a presidential candidate. That was his hope. But he talks a very interesting talk, a little bit like Ross Perot did, a slightly different way. If you Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, has anyone got a question for Lembit? I will try and I'm aware that on previous nights I haven't been able to see everyone that's indicated. So if you can bring the house lights up and just put your hand up and speak clearly. I'll repeat the question so that on the podcast recording we can... We can hear it clearly, but does anyone have a question? Yes, the man at the back, what's your name, mate? You just mentioned, uh, George. George, George, what's your question? Uh, you just mentioned Ron Paul. You, and, and he was kind of thought of as representing the youth of America. Who do you think represents the youth of Britain? Who do you think represents the youth of Britain? First of all, can I tell you that this is the loudest bottle of water I've ever had <laughs> in <laughs> my life. It's a comedy bottle of water. Um, who represents politically the youth of Britain? Yeah, well, I mean... Modesty prevents me from saying that I co-founded the UK Youth Parliament, so just scrub that from the record. Not. Um, um, no one, no, no politician directly has that role. I was the uh, spokesman, spokesperson for Youth Affairs at one point, which seemed like a cheeky title to me. Um, Lots of cheeky girls, I'm sure. <laughs> Everyone a winner. I'll set them up. And you knock them down. <laughs> George, I enjoyed that a little bit. But it reminds me of a very sad past. Um, <laughs> well, cheeky mama. <laughs> I bring the house down. Sorry, it's not my casting session, really. Um, I don't think there's, there's, there's any politician. Thank you for having me here. It's right, mate. I've got 100 fewer friends now. Um, I don't think there's any politician who directly owns that mantle. There have been people who directly appealed to young people 
and uh, Mo Molan was one of them. Mo Molan is, I would say, the greatest minister that I had the honour to serve. Yeah. I would yeah. give her a round of applause because she's up there somewhere. And, um, and she, uh, was, she was the woman that brought the terrorists in from the cold. And I can say this now because she's, she's passed away as well. And she um, used me as, as, as almost like a shadow minister. I was the sh shadow secretary of state for Northern Ireland for 10 years. And if there's one thing that I, I'll always be proud of uh, as being an MP, it was helping to get the peace process going. So she, she and I would talk about things. I'd go and do them because if it messed up, it meant it didn't fall back on her. But when I saw her with young people, they just warmed to her because she wasn't um, arrogant. She wasn't the big I am. She was just a wonderful person. There's a second person. And there's the greatest, um, the greatest uh, politician I ever met was Benazir Bhutto. And when you met her, she would fill the room. If she sat here, you would be hypnotised with her grace. And I think that it wasn't about age with her. It was about soul. And I think the, the best politicians don't look at age. They don't look at political direction. Uh, or political affiliation, they look at what's inside you, and that's what young people can see. They won't get duped, they'll walk away. And I don't think there is a doyen in Parliament currently for that. Can I ask who you think is a good ambassador for young people, or who, who has well, the respect? It's funny confusing, isn't it, really, when you, you, see, if you look at someone like Ron Paul, who's a little bit older, he's saying that we need to struggle after the left going forward. Uh, who do I think is... In uh, Britain. Is that what you class as young? Sorry? For those of you that didn't hear what George said, he said that uh, the person he thinks is a doyen of young people in Britain is me. <laughs> <laughs> and I thank you for that, George. I'm, I'm a Lambeth resident as well. Oh, really? Vote <laughs> 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 um, um, And that, that, that is a serious problem. I, I actually, a lot of the time when I was in Parliament, the young people, the youth were regarded as the problem. Well, actually, they're the future as well, and um, I'm hoping that they're going to work really hard when I'm into my 104th year of retirement. <laughs> 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 Do you have any more questions for Lambert? Yes, stand up front, mate. What's your name? Uh, Anthony. Anthony. Um, given that uh, you basically, both of you, accept politics has moved more to the right, Labour is more of a centrist party, if you want to call it that. Uh, the Lib Dems have moved more to the right with uh, being in this coalition, you yeah. said more of the left has moved away from them. Do you feel that there is any left-wing politics left in Britain? And is the class system, as someone's told us, has changed as well now? But do you feel that there is somebody representing the millions of unemployed youth, the, the people that have actually suffered from Thatcherism, suffered from the credit culture which the Labour Party has brought in and is now suffering from the coalition? Uh, the Lib Dems being weak, basically, in terms of standing up to the Tories. Do you, do you feel there is actually a voice for us, basically, left in politics? So just to, just to recap, that you know, has most politics moved to the right? Is there a voice for people that are unemployed at the moment? Uh, I suppose uh, is there a left wing? Is there a, yeah, an effective? Yeah, just generally people who, are, 
he said Thatcher as well. Thatcher basically left a kind of legacy for me. Mm. And the word aspiration has been used, but for me that aspiration has been to produce a greedy culture, a culture of materialism, a culture which is devoid of community and society, and politics for me as well, has very much changed to a point where the majority of people uh, from uh, poorer backgrounds, basically, just feel completely disillusioned by it. But also, as I'm sure you guys mentioned, there's a lot of people on Facebook and things saying a lot of bad things about Thatcher. <laughs> they might not necessarily know what she did or very why true. they say that. Cool. And they're very passionate. But I understand their passion and I understand their ignorance because the education system is so terrible in this country. Cool. Politics doesn't seem cool. open towards people from those backgrounds. It's, but they're still passionate because they actually see the problems day to day. Well, um, Anthony, uh, I'm very glad you're not standing against me in Lambeth, because <laughs> I'd probably vote for you. <laughs> um, I mean, if you, essentially you're asking, um, uh, it's a legacy question in a sense. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not pessimistic, because I think the human race is pretty reasonable. When things aren't going so badly, we're tolerant. When we see a stupid law, we ignore it, and it eventually gets repealed. Um, when it comes to, to, to legacy problems like you're saying, let me ask you, if you had to ask, if you had to say one thing you're most concerned about, what would it be? It's a very good question. Answer! Sorry, no, sorry, wrong form. There's too many things I'm concerned about, but um, Give I'd say, I'd say the, major, the major thing for me is the fact that we've openly seen a lot of scandals with politicians, with the media, with the police. Yeah. The hacking inquiry where we found high up policemen who were being bribed. Yeah, okay, the, the fact that the media has got such close links to so many high up politicians, yeah. there's those links between those. The fact that Rupert Murdoch has such a monopoly, the oh. fact that for me, the media today is reducing intellectualism, state schools are reducing intellectualism, everything is seeming to become more of a business. And everything seems to me okay. to be more about I th money. There's a lot of I, points I, I think... I, th <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um, oh, there's a call for you. I think the person who most represents the disenfranchised and hard left is Anthony, actually. <laughs> um, if you want to vote for me, that's fine. The reality, <laughs> the reality... Do you take bribes? Oh, that was your job. <laughs> um, no, I'm um, bigger money. The you're in bigger money. No, I'm not too big on it. <laughs> you remind me of that phrase from Northern Ireland. I know where you used to live. Ulster will fight and Ulster will be right, but that's for another evening. Um, the, um, the I would take that to mean something that's a bit prejudiced. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, because my lawyer's just... There's two really interesting things that you've asked. One is, where does the, the if you like, the traditional, the, the solid, you don't have to say extreme, but the solid, fairly hard, uh, hard-bitten left, uh, find solace. Nowhere. Nowhere at the moment. It's in factions. The Lib Dem left faction is called um, Social Liberal Forum. It's waiting for its chance to come back. Although Ed Miliband got elected on a pretty hard left red -ed, um agenda, he's not stuck to it. You know, like you said before, I mean, I, I thought, did you not think that Matt Ford's first part was absolutely tremendous? Give him a round of applause. Absolutely. <laughs> So fie on you for not getting the Belgrano joke. I'll explain that later <laughs> at the bar. Um, the fact is, well, two of you did, but you didn't have the courage to laugh. I had to do that on my own. Um, uh, 
and not for the first time. Uh, who's laughing now? There goes my stand-up career. Um, the, the, on, on that basis, the, the serious, heavy-duty, authoritative, hard-left bits of politics are all in bits, in little silos, waiting to come back. They may come back, they may not. We'll see what happens. In terms of the other thing, the, the big concerns you've got, I would say that at the end of the day, the people in this room represent a, a, a class of thought which thinks more deeply about politics than most people and, and crucially has the power to affect a change. But how much time are you willing to spend to do that? What's really happened in our society now is the depoliticization of it because most people are comfortable. There's a great phrase somebody once said to me, people who say money isn't everything are invariably rich. Yeah. And that's yeah. true. People who say that money makes a difference are actually poor. Uh, but they're, they're disenfranchised. It goes back to something called the land grab many centuries, a few centuries ago, which originally was the reason the Liberals reformed. And uh, this is a slightly gloomy prognosis for you, Anthony, but, but there are people who still give a damn, who are still philanthropic, still altruistic, but they haven't got the power at the moment. I hope there's a swing back. Uh, uh, at the moment, we can't see it. Um, if I was to tell you uh, which party is most aligned to that, I couldn't say, because we don't know how they're all going to change. Labour will refashion themselves to make sure they win the 2015 election, they probably will. Uh, but Lib Dems are all in the quagmire. But Labour will be helped by, a, by a, it has to be said, a parliamentary system that is deeply unjust, that exaggerates their share of the vote. The Labour Party in 2010 got 29% of the vote, less than John Major got in 1997 when he was wiped out. The fact that Labour can even mount a challenge for the next election is something that should offend every single Democrat in this, yeah. in, this, in this room. And I speak as a Labour supporter and a Labour vote for the rest of my life. Proportional representation is long overdue and it's deeply unfair. And that's, that's part of the reason the voice of the people is, is, isn't mm. being fully here. But what I would say is there's a presumption that left-wing politics, that socialism, is necessarily the voice of the people. And all those people who are unemployed, who are working class, who voted for Thatcher, would laugh in your face at the suggestion. The idea that the rich people are right wing and the poor people are left wing just simply isn't true anymore. And the reality is, it's not that all politics has gone right wing, it's that politics has come to the people. The reality is, people in this country were not prepared to vote for a Tory government unless they gave them guarantees mm. on the NHS. The Tory party had to move to the left. People weren't prepared to vote for a Labour party that wasn't going to drop ridiculous plans to renationalise the top 100 companies. Well, why not the top 101? These ridiculous policies to, to be neutral during the Cold War, uh, to unilateral nuclear disarmament. What happened was actually politics listened to the people, and that's why we've ended up with the political class we've ended up with around the middle. It's because broadly that's where most people are. Most people you meet aren't extreme. They wouldn't identify themselves as socialist or, or even capitalist or even anymore Labour or Conservative, which is why you get that fluctuation. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It means that politicians are listening to the people. What it does mean is, unfortunately, that has been twinned with the culture of the professionalisation of politics, which was okay in the mid-90s, but now makes politicians look woefully out of touch. But the voice of the people is being heard, ineffectually to some extent, but don't presume that because people are unemployed that they're left-wing or that they need socialism. Which is why we've invited you here to join our new political party. You can't afford not to. <laughs> Don't <laughs> serve those people. I'll come to uh, the gentleman now. I believe your name's Justin. Uh, yes, it's uh, Justin from Macclesfield. <laughs> um, I just came down today to see what was going off in London. <laughs> 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 I see what's so funny about that. And, uh, 
I want to thank you as an audience for making that the fifth question <laughs> as opposed to the first. Um, I am actually not afraid of, this sounds like Cape Fear now, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm not afraid of the influx of Romanian and, uh, and, and Bulgarian uh, uh, people and, and girls as long as they're not twins. Um, people ask me, did I go out with both of them? But I don't know, because they're twins. <laughs> um, I said, as I said to their stepfather in a particularly embarrassing evening, oh, oh. Uh, I'm not scared of it. You know what? Whoa, 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 don't gloss over that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I smell juice. <laughs> What? So what, what? I see jealousy. <laughs> Go on. We'll come back to Mr. Macclesfield in a moment. So you got, you got in a bit of a hairy situation with Austin? Nah, I can't be a couple. They're not hairy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all you can get? Is that the best? Don't live with, don't live with Richard tonight. Anyway, um, no, the fact of the matter is, um, they were lovely girls, and I still get on very well with them, good terms. Oh, but I'm not that disappointed you. No, that's much. good, I'm pleased. I like oh, to Do you want to call her now? <laughs> yeah. The mother doesn't want that. <laughs> um, I've dug myself a metaphorical but, but, hole. But the um, point about immigration. Yeah, the, 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 I'm not scared of it. I don't know what's going on over there. It's strange. Um, there's nothing to be afraid of in terms of immigration because those people are doing jobs that will not solve the um, unemployment problem in this country. Uh, people from Bulgaria and uh, Romania and everywhere else they're actually going to do jobs that uh, are backfilled by them because people from the United Kingdom, indigenous population, don't want to do them. Um, and all this stuff about, oh, it's a big drain on the state. There's a, I think it's, I could be wrong about this. If somebody here is from um, uh, the Work and Pensions um, Department, you can put me right. But basically, it's 3% of people who come into this country live on benefits. Now, lots of them don't really pay tax properly, but there's no doubt that they make more of a contribution than they take away, uh, including the cheeky girls. But there we are. But in terms of, let's just play devil's advocate on immigration and say, because they're backfilling jobs that white, indigenous British people don't want. Is there not a school of thought that says then that the government should say to people who are unemployed, who are white, British, unless you take those jobs, you won't get any benefits? Uh, well, you, you can say that, but there will always be a degree of freeloading in any system. And do we get... But that it deserves to be tackled, doesn't it? You can't tackle all of it. You can't tackle all of it. There will always be some scroungers. There will always be some people who do the wrong thing. But society works for the same reason that most of you sitting in here don't think that the person next to you, um, with the exception of Alan, is going to attack you. <laughs> um, and, and that's because, because we work on the basis of good faith. Anyone of you could rip off the, the tax system if you wanted to. Anyone here could commit a crime. But most of the time, we don't. In terms of immigration... I, I had some experience of this. In Northern Ireland, there weren't that many Estonians. There were 12 of us, actually. Uh, Estonian was my second language. And uh, returning to my name, I'll never, I learned... Uh, sorry, Estonian was my first language. English was my second language. And um, when I went to school, I remember thinking what odd names everybody else had. 
And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I remember when I was uh, canvassing in, in Newcastle upon Tyne, I had a lot of racism when I first got into politics. Like, I remember the very day I thought I was going to win, 1992 it was. Um, this is absolutely true. I was canvassing in an area called South Gosforth. Anyone from Newcastle here? South Gosforth was the posh bit. And this woman came to the door and I said, any chance of your vote, Miss Wilson, whatever it was. She went, she really said this. She went, um, who's the Labour candidate, Lambert? I went, well, it's a woman called Hilary Franks. And she really did say this. Hilary Franks? That's a strange name, Lambert. <laughs> That's a strange name. Is she foreign? I went, no, she's from there. And she squeezed me on that joint. I said, well, I'll be voting for you. What we need is a local lad. Not while <laughs> these foreigners come here to take our jobs. And I'll tell you, Mr. Macclesfield, instead of taking on her view, I just gave her a poster. And I won by 50. So I actually, I actually think that, that there is a fear of immigration. But immigration has done more harm than good. And I will say one serious thing here. If it hadn't been for the generosity of spirit of the UK after uh, World War II, my family would have been sent back to Estonia and would have been terminated in Siberian work camps. So to that extent, me and my family are forever in your debt. When you think about... You, you, you know, I think that does deserve a round of applause, actually. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about your career... Sort of the later years of the Parliament and then and then post Parliament and going up the cheeky girls and going to the jungle and things like that. You know, I, I saw you defending uh, uh, Nadine Dorries. Nadine Dorries when when she went in and, and rightly so. Do you think? I mean, I understand why you do it, but do you think that helps politics connect with an audience? One small technical point: um, the cheeky girls weren't a career, but <laughs> obviously <laughs> not. I but it seems part of a celebrity lifestyle, isn't it? It is, and I ended up in celebrity by accident uh, because I'm, I was slightly naive about it. Uh, you don't choose who you love. And I love Gabriella, and uh, she loved me. <laughs> in a way, you never will. <laughs> That's definitely true. No, no, I'm pointing at you as the British people. Um, uh, in a way, uh, you know... Uh, you, uh, you wouldn't have a But in terms of going into the jungle, is that a good way uh, to reach out? You know? it, it was. That, that was after I uh, was an MP, uh, for me personally. I, I ended up dragged into uh, celebrities, a willing volunteer, because it's very enjoyable, it's very sweet. It's kind of, it's people who like, I don't like chocolate, but people like chocolate, give them the chocolate, but they love it. That's what celebrity feels like, because everyone's making you feel good. And you almost disregard what's been written about you that's negative, because mm. the, the positive bit's lovely. When it came to losing my seat, maybe that had something to do with it. Not necessarily the only thing. But my seat was lost in 79 when Labour lost to the Conservatives as well. So maybe other reasons. But you have to take that. There's no point in me rewriting history. I lost the seat and I take responsibility for that. And some people unquestionably didn't like the fact I was in the press. They thought I was a lightweight. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't care about whether I cared about these people or not. It was just they thought I was doing it for celebrity. And you learn a little bit. But will I do it again? Probably, because I was never going to be told by the media who to love. Mm. In terms of what Nadine Dorries did as an MP, I defended her so fiercely because she has been disrespected by her own party. She's a Northern lass, I think possibly from Macclesfield, I could be wrong about that. And, and that doesn't really fit the Tory face. She'd been treated in a sexist way, patronised by her own leader. I quite like Cameron, but I think he made a mistake when he made fun of her. And she said, solid, what do I lose by going into the jungle? And, and respect to her for at least doing something out of the box, doing something principled. And she's a smart lass. You should have her here sometime. And you guys should come and you should all come and listen to her because you will be charmed by her because she's an interesting person. I will defend 
any MPs right to step outside that conformist box to the end of the earth because that's what they went into politics to do. Do you think though there's, there's a there's a fine line, isn't there, between being different, reaching out to new audiences, and you know eating a kangaroo's dick? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the difference between me eating a kangaroo's dick and you was that mine was dead. <laughs> but it's difficult, isn't it? Because some people would say... Don't that change the subject. <laughs> but some people would say, you know, it's a show obviously watched by a different group of people than would watch Prime Minister's Question Time. So in that regard, I understand that it's good, but... Because of the nature of the show, sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great joke, um, but because of the nature of the, the program, perhaps, then it actually does more harm than good. Um, for me personally, I had lost my seat, and so I should explain something about that program. You are, aren't recruited to be you; you're recruited for a role. Mm. You, you're 24 hours a day in front of 200 cameras, and you've got the politician, you've got uh, the geek. You've got the kind of social misfit. All, all in one. Well, in my case, it was, <laughs> yes. Oh, lend it. <laughs> Speak to the hand. I feel bad. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's not basically. So, okay, I played those three roles. She had two. She had the hated politician, and she had the, uh, the woman who shouldn't have been in there in that role. Uh, because that caused massive coverage. So you get recruited for a role, and let's not pretend. ITV don't do that programme to help people. Mm. They're not unpleasant, and they're, you know, they're, they're very nice people, but, but basically they're doing it to sell advertising, and they make a stack out of it. Anybody who goes into that jungle thinking it's about them misses the fact that you sign a contract saying you waive your rights to any editorial uh, privilege on that. Now, what Nadine did was, she said, I've got nothing to lose. I'm being disrespected, never going to get to be a minister. And I actually want to make a point. And I think it's almost like anything else. It's raw at the time, but over time it matures into something else. And most people have heard of Nadine Doris. The biggest mistake I made in not getting re-elected was not dressing in lycra and licking Ruler Lenska's hand. <laughs> <laughs> During your time in the jungle, who was it you got on well with? And, and do you still talk to anyone that was um, in there with you? I actually made five really good friends there. Um, uh, Cheryl Gascoigne, uh, lovely, mm. lovely woman. Gillian um, McKeith, actually, who fainted a lot. Uh, <laughs> what did she faint? I don't know. <laughs> She's a friend. All I can tell you is that her publicist is Max Clifford, and I leave the rest <laughs> to you. Um, and and some of the others, Linford Christie, nice bloke, Agro Santos, who was put up on, I believe, trumped up charges uh, not long ago. But the one giant, the person I got on best with in the jungle, was uh, Sean Ryder. From legend, absolute <laughs> le legend, absolute. I don't, um, I don't normally swear in any of these things, but at one point we were gi being given slight electric shocks, and, and Nigel uh, Havers was, oh, I, I'm going to walk away from the show if you carry on doing this, which he did the next day, and I'm kind of susceptible to that kind of thing. I said, well, maybe I should go too, and, and uh, Sean, who's my friend, says, don't be so fucking soft. <laughs> So I stayed. <laughs> he is a legend. Absolutely fantastic. He's, he's been a long-term friend. And that, that's quite rare, actually, to have five friends that you see, uh, see after the show. But there's other people, like Alex Best is a friend of mine. And a lot of people who've been on those shows 
they, they really think, oh, I'd do anything to be back in there. And mm -hmm. it is a great experience. As long as you go in there to have an experience, it's fantastic. You're a genuine political eccentric and a big poli political personality. And I think most people, I think, and I think the mood of the room tonight is that you're a good thing for politics. That it's better that there are politicians like you around that will, will come here and be honest and be candid and be funny and be themselves. Why don't you think, at the top of the political parties at the moment, Labour, Lib Dem and, and Conservative, that, that we don't see more personality? Politics is, is fundamentally conformist. And, I mean, there's no, there's no punchline to what I'm about to say. I disagreed with Thatcher intensely. I think she left the, world, the country in a worse condition than she found it. But somehow, uniquely, she was a maverick. And she got to the front. The reason we've all got a point of view about her is because, like me, she's, she's a Marmite person. Some people like her, some people don't. Probably, if you met her, you'd have been impressed because she's. I've met her four times. I didn't get on particularly well with her, but I could see she had a, a big personality. We live in a society where you've got 24-hour, seven-day-a-week news, so the smallest things get things get reported. If if Churchill had tried to be prime minister now, he'd have been drummed out for being an alcoholic and all kinds of other stuff too. What we've created, allowed the media to do, is to form a fear of standing out. Mm. Now, could I say all this if I was an MP? I probably would say it, but it would cause me harm, because somebody would report it. Um, all I can say to you, Matt, and to your audience is that, that I came into politics to protect your right to be crazy, to be stupid, to be individualistic, and I try to do those three things every day of my life. <laughs> um, but more than anything, we at the moment live in a world where politicians are scared to stand out. Scared to say, we've got to negotiate with Paris, which is exactly what we did in Northern Ireland to solve the problem there. Um, we were scared to say, actually, drugs policy has failed in this country, so let's regulate it. Because this is exactly what we used to do in this country until 1973. We're actually scared to tell people, whatever your sexuality, it's fine, as long as you don't harm anybody else without their consent. <coughs> so what's happened, Matt, is we live in a world where one sentence can cause you trouble. If one of you is a journalist, you could write the, the worst parts of what we've both said and make us look really bad people. But I'm not going to be cowed by that. It makes me lonely sometimes. It makes me lonely because I'm still naive about that. But I'd rather be naive and go home at the end of the night and think, I told you guys the truth, than to think, yeah, I did well tonight, but I didn't say what I believed. That's, I mean, I can't put it any other way. I'll take a couple more questions, and uh, I'm keen if there's anyone upstairs that's that's got a question that they should ask it. Yes, the chap at the back, what's your name? Andrew. Andrew, what's your question, mate? If you could do it in one sentence as well, please. Okay, Wales top rate of tax, 37.5%, slums, but apparently economic boom. Uh, top rate of tax here, 45%, no slums, thank goodness, no economic boom. How do you see that balance? So the top rate of tax issue. Um, Britain basically got... Uh, had its wealth because of its empire, and there's something called uh, there's something called uh, muscular Christianity, which came up in the 1800s. There's the idea, and I quote uh, a book uh, from 1906 called Our Public Schools, which described the British attitude to the world as uh, the idea of the Englishman, Englishman, marching across the world with a Bible in one hand and a musket in the other, and we brought so much wealth into this country. That's why we're ahead of the game, but why we're sinking, because the empire doesn't do that anymore. Brazil, it was chaotic, it was much more Darwinistic, everyone for themselves. My judgment is, therefore, it's historic. 
In a hundred years' time, I think Brazil will probably have come up to our standard of living. Look what China is doing. Mm. China is going to be the biggest economy on Earth in 30 years' time. I nearly moved there to a place called Guangzhou in 1997. Had I not become an MP, I would have uh, done so. And um, when I lost my seat, I nearly did, actually, to be honest with you, because um, Nick Clegg's never met people from Guangzhou. Um, uh, so so it's a, there's a historical thing there. What's most interesting is why do places like Germany do well? They never had a particularly an empire, not recently. They lost it all anyway in the 40s. Because we rebuilt a modern, tolerant, we enforced a modern, tolerant society there. And my lesson from that is, if you're, if you're libertarian, if you're tolerant, actually then you help people be the best they can be. Uh, when I worked at Procter & Gamble, I was the global training manager there. All I did was help people be the best they can be without prejudice. And, and I think that's the difference. Do you have an answer to that question yourself, sir? No, I, I, you might say on a simplistic uh, view that 30% pays for council houses and the NHS. But uh, what's wrong with that? Do you really want slums? Do you want not to be able to walk in the street because people live in slums and can only roll? It, it's a difficult social question, so I don't have an answer to it. I went to um, HMRC yesterday because I was crap at filling, up my form, filling my forms. They told me off, they said, well, go and do it. And uh, I said, uh, everybody else was complaining about how much tax they paid. Um, the health service has saved my life twice and saved my mum's life three times. You can't do that for nothing. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind paying tax because I get up in the morning and I don't think anyone's going to break, in, well, break into my house or speak me up in the street. And, and I actually still feel this is a good country because it's benign. And I'd rather pay tax than be afraid. Okay, I'll take two more questions. Uh, Alan's in to get if you can have... Uh, I'll take you up there afterwards. I'll take Alan first, then I'll take you. Uh, and if we could have a, a one sentence question, please. Oh, could a libertarian live in Guangzhou? Could a libertarian live in Guangzhou? Yes, you can, if you're a Guaylo. Guaylo is what the Chinese call white people because it's, it's Chinese for ghost. And the level of respect you get as somebody willing to invest in China. Now, also, I don't happen to transport drugs around the world and uh, for all my faults I try to live a good life and my opinion is that China is changing it's not as democratic as the UK but how democratic are we in a sense um, we're not as good as we make out and China isn't as bad as it makes out Alan you, you wanted to come in? No, no I just thought in Guangzhou as far as I'm aware or in any part of China it's very hard to be a libertarian because, uh, because there is one party it's a one party state incredibly successful, it's done a lot to take, to take a lot of poverty uh, out, out of the yeah. system but it is not for a libertarian It's, tr it's true to an extent but there's, an, there's a contradiction, there's an irony here as well I used to stay in a hotel called the White Swan Hotel I worked with a woman called Kathleen and I, I spent a lot of time working on the working on the training courses we were designing so I spent a lot of time in her room just working, <laughs> honest and, and they used to one time they called it was first floor are you a Chinese secret service agent? <laughs> <laughs> um, and one time, one time, one time, they <laughs> one time the, her phone went while we were working on, on the course for the next day, and it was for me. And they were so polite that although they were conducting enormous surveillance on us, they thought the polite thing to do was to transfer the call to the room they had followed me to. And that's the kind of way it is. It's quite nice. Uh, it is quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> The final question, but with conditions. Up on the balcony, what's your name, please? I'm Chris. Chris, nice to meet you, Chris. And what's your question? Would you like to stand for Mayor of London? And if you did, what would your first policy be? 
Would you stand for Mayor of London and what would your first policy be? <laughs> I tried to stand for Mayor of London. <laughs> um, uh, twice. Uh, once jokingly. Uh, in 2004, I did this proof. Uh, 2000, well, both times jokingly. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, in 2000, I think 2004, uh, 2008, when I was uh, an MP, one of those years. Um, um, we put a spoof story out saying I was thinking of standing for Mayor of London. My seat was in Montgomeryshire and um, created this massive hoo-ha. Let me know if it's going to stand for London. And I made this uh, big, big statement, um, I think it was on um, LBC, saying I will stand on the basis of two conditions, that they extend the Jubilee line to uh, Welshpool <laughs> and that Montgomeryshire in mid-Wales is made an official borough of London. And in the next day, uh, a, a newspaper in London had the great headline, OPIC sets conditions for Mary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, in 2012, I did try to stand, but um, I was out of favour of the leadership and I, I, I crashed and burned in the campaign. I would love to be Mayor of London. And I have to say that I think Boris isn't doing a bad job. Uh, Ken, I think, did a, a, I disagreed with him on transport issues, but he did a great job. His heart is completely in the right place. Boris, I think he's doing a pretty good job. My first policy, my first policy would be to have a 24-hour tube. It is absolutely, absolutely crazy that I have to walk home at 4 a.m. every single morning. <laughs> <laughs> when, when the nearest I have to a social life is sidling up to the person in the carriage at the back and saying, will you be my friend? <laughs> and, uh, um, you also remind me of something else. It's, um, uh, Frank Dobson is a very good friend of mine. Mm. and he, he got defeated by Ken Livingston the first time. Uh, when he, he was the new Labour candidate and Ken was the people's candidate, I would say. And I saw, um, I saw Frank Dobson uh, after that, and, and uh, it was really in the lift, it's a true story. And um, these words, I think, in some ways summarise how I felt about politics ever since. And how do you feel about losing... Uh, you're right, Frank. He said, what you've got to remember, Lambert, is that 20% of everything you do in politics is virtually pointless. <laughs> <laughs> but the other 80% is pointless. <laughs> <laughs> <Legend>. <laughs> well, what a quote, Sandra. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we've come to the end, but before we show our appreciation, uh, our next show is on the 15th of May, uh, where my guest will be Tim Lawton. Now, for those that you don't know, he's a Conservative MP. Uh, he was on a show called Tower Block of Commons, and he is... I think he's probably the funniest MP in Parliament. Uh, well. He's, he <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an MP, Lemberg. He's a genuine... I think he's slightly eccentric. He was a minister. He was an education minister under this coalition, so it's the first time we'll have had a serving minister in the coalition, Down, He was fired in the reshuffle and since has tried to make life as difficult as possible for Michael Gove. And he's genuinely funny. He's constantly getting told off for heckling in the House of Commons. It is absolutely hilarious. So I know not everyone might have heard who he is, but I guarantee you he will be candid, he will be funny. Absolutely. He's a Conservative MP who served in the Coalition. Mm. It's a real treat. And then uh, on the 12th of June, we have the former Home Foreign and Justice Secretary, Jack Straw. So it's a big night's ahead. But I, I just want to say, um, we've had so far down here, George Galloway, Nigel Farage and Charles Clark. Lembit... I think this has been the most emotional, um, <laughs> and I say that with the greatest respect, the most emotional, the most personal conversation I, I think we've had down here. You showed a real different side to politicians that we haven't seen already, and you, I think you're a legend, mate, and I, I really would like to see you back in Parliament. Ladies hey, and gentlemen, thanks, pal. Mr Lembit Oak. Thank there you go, ladies and gentlemen, Lembit Opic. How rare to hear a politician show their vulnerability like that. 
Um, remarkable bloke. And I really felt drawn to him. And I don't know if you felt that listening back to it, but certainly people in the room on the night, and I felt it on the night, as the interview wore on, really felt a great deal of warmth for Lembit. Um, probably because he did show himself to be so fragile, which is rare in politics. just makes you realise in this modern era where people are so disrespectful of the political process and of politicians as individuals, they're still people. It's easy to presume that because they hold high office or we perceive them to uh, have power, that actually you know, any public criticism doesn't bother them or that they don't experience the same range of emotions that we do. And Lembit really demonstrated that they do and that perhaps... When we think about politicians, we should perhaps see them in a little bit more as people. I'm sure people would say perhaps they should behave a little bit more like people. Um, but nevertheless, a certain amount of respect from the public towards them, I think, is long overdue, actually. Um, but he was wonderful, wasn't he, Lambert? What, uh, what a guy. And I didn't really expect to feel about him by the end of the interview the way that I did. Uh, he was a great sport. Um, funny, insightful, eccentric, um, <laughs> but, but never not entertaining. Uh, my next guest is Tim Lawton on Wednesday the 15th of May. He is, uh, as you'll have heard me say at the end of the podcast there, uh, the live show, that he um, was an education minister who was moved in the reshuffle, moved out. Um, and uh, he's just hilarious. He's really funny. If you saw him on Tower Block of Commons, you'll know he's a very, very funny man. And it'd be great to have a bit of insight on what it's like to serve as a minister under David Cameron, because it's not something we really hear much of in the mainstream media either. So it'd be good to get his insight on that, as well as uh, enjoy his great sense of humour. So that's on the 15th of May. If you'd like to buy tickets, they're available on the website, www.stjamestheatre.co.uk. I know I always bang on about this, but it is a spectacular venue. It's beautiful. It's down there on Victoria, uh, near Victoria Station on Palace Street. It's, it's a new theatre. It's been recently renovated. It really lends itself to politics and the, the, the wood-panelled room and the low lighting creates a special atmosphere and the rest of it. It's got a marble staircase in it. It's gorgeous. And then on the 12th of June, I'm joined by former Justice, Home and Foreign Secretary, Jack Straw. So I'm sure that one will, will be a belter. Thank you so much for downloading this, and I really hope you enjoy it. It's, a, it's such a passion project uh, for me, and I really love making it. I love preparing for it, writing the material, doing it on the night, um, interviewing a politician. And then I love the fact that I can then put that out as a podcast for people who can't come to the show who want to listen. So thank you very much for downloading it. And if you have enjoyed it, Please tell your friends about it, tweet about it and share it. Um, I will speak to you again in about a month, unless I see you before then, in which case do say hello. So until then, ta-ra.